It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and we got a good one in store today. Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to look at a uh, a local uh, charity that's celebrating 80 years of service to the community later this week. And uh, I will be talking with Kelly Party from uh, Catholic Charities later in the show. In the in the middle of the uh, show, the second hour of our three-hour tour. The author of a new memoir called The Big Hurt, Erica Schickel, will join me. But first, we're going to talk about uh, time management with time management uh, guru, if you will, Oliver Berkman, who joins me by phone. Oliver, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I don't know if I'm a guru. We'll have to find out, I suppose. <laughs> Well, let's talk about time management a little bit, because it seems like for the last year and a half, a lot of people have felt like they had nothing but time. I think the pandemic has just left us 
completely unmoored with respect to time. Some people have felt like they have too much. I can tell you, you know, with a four-year-old son, when the preschools closed down <laughs> in New York City where we were living then, it did not feel like we had too much. Um, but it's all just thrown everything up into a, into a jumble, hasn't it? And we've sort of lost the kind of signposts like commutes and uh, meetings at work, the kind of things that we used to sort of navigate through the day sort of um, have all have all been uh, thrown away. So it's a very disorienting time, I think. Yeah. You know, what I found interesting was um, the sense of, uh, what should I say, um, restlessness. Like, I was supposed to be doing something, but I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really... Uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I totally relate to that. I think that, um, I mean, I guess it's one of the things I I try to explore in the in the new book is just this idea that we're very, very pushed by um, the culture in which we live and various other things to, to always want to be like using, to make, be making the best use of time. And this gets very tricky when you're in a position where you can't because you're stuck at home or whatever it might be. So and and Oliver, about, Oliver, something I should be doing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oliver, please forgive me. I I don't know if I mentioned the the name of your new book. It just came out in August, I believe, uh, and it's called Four Thousand Weeks: Time Management for Mortals. And I'm I'm struck by by both parts of that title. <laughs> One is this idea that if we live to be eighty. We have four thousand weeks, and it it that just seems to put a tremendous amount of pressure to do something with those weeks, and and then the other part of the title is for mortals, and whether or not we mere mortals are up to the challenge of filling four thousand weeks with with <laughs> useful activity. I mean, yeah, when you're choosing the title for a book, obviously, you do want to um, grab people's attention. And, uh, and so I hope that that title that does grab people's attention. I hope it doesn't shock them too much, because I think the message that I'm certainly tr interested to explore and to, to spread is not that, you know, we should therefore go through our lives in this white knuckle panic to make sure that we <laughs> make use of every single second that's actually a very stressful way to live i think um it, it's more just to see that you know we are finite in this fundamental way everyone knows that intellectually but i think that a lot of people a lot of us including me you know you can go through your life and manage your time and make decisions about how you spend your time in a way that doesn't properly take account of that so you sort of just one example, you know, if you're the kind of person who's into time management systems and becoming more efficient, as I certainly was for many years, um, it's very tempting to just assume that if you find the right system, you'll be able to handle absolutely everything and anything that you might feel you wanted to do or that you might feel obliged to do. And again, it's just the math doesn't work, right? If we're finite humans, there's a, that we're going to have to make tough choices about what we spend our time on and this this sort of fantasy that we might get to make time for absolutely everything that's the thing that we're going to have to try to let go of i, I think because no matter what we do you know however we spend that four thousand weeks 
plus, hopefully, at some point we come to an end and there's still going to be stuff to do. Right, exactly. I think a lot of people think, you know, if I find the right systems, I can, I can eliminate all the unimportant stuff from my life and just do the important stuff. Uh, people talk a lot about how important it is to learn to say no. Uh, and again, I think they mean to say no to the tedious and unimportant things. But actually, especially because of the world in which we now live, um, although it's always been true to some extent, it, it's that there are too many important things. You know, if you're going to spend a portion of your life trying to be a good parent, say, that's probably not a portion that you're going to spend going on six-month meditation retreats up a mountain in the Himalayas. Or, um, <laughs> you know, if, right. uh, and you can, or if you're, <laughs> so, so, you know, these are all good things to do. It's just that they are incommensurate and that, um, and that it isn't a question of finding a sneaky way to do them all, but of, but of deciding between them, yeah. And you made me think of, uh, of something when you were talking about having your preschooler home during the uh, uh, various uh, quarantines and shelter-in-place recommendations and so on, um, mm -hmm. that a lot of people had this this life that was very busy. I'm thinking about working moms, for example, that managed to hold down a job and get the kids to soccer practice and ballet lessons and basketball and all of this stuff. And home is kind of a respite from all that goes on out there. But during the pandemic, we brought all that stuff into our houses. Has that had an effect on people um, about not being able to recharge? I mean, I think so, and I think there's a lot of at least anecdotal evidence that it has. We, we get a lot of benefit from boundaries of time, you know, from feeling, uh, from having a sort of understanding of the day that, that, that assigns different kinds of different hours to different times. This is a very, just incidentally, that's, uh, that's a very effective way of organizing a work day. It gets known as time blocking or time boxing. It's also there, you know, for those who know about these things in the, in the daily routines of, of monasteries, right? That's very famous, that, that way to sort of find this peaceful rhythm of, of work, prayer, leisure, you know, it, it's divided up through the hours of the day. And I think what happened in lockdown was like the exact opposite of that, a, a total scrambling of all these different boundaries. And so that, you know, you're never quite focused on anything entirely. And that really does leave most people anyway, feeling a lot more scattered and unproductive uh, than if they can sort of you know, you only need to be able to ring fence a couple of hours to make a real difference in a workday, say. But you do need to be able to ring fence that couple of hours. And if you can't, I think it's all very frustrating for people, yeah. Um, how, how should people go about deciding what things are worth their time? I mean, that is the big question. And one of the things I sort of quite deliberately tried to do in this book was not be the guy who was um, giving a laundry list. You know, um, hey, relationships are more important than making money or you've got to spend more time in nature. I, I think that most people 
have a sense of what matters most to them, at least in principle. I think when they do a little bit of introspecting, it's very clear to most people at most stages in their lives what would sort of count the most for them, whether this is a season of life to really double down on the business that you're building, say, or a season of life to make sure you're at home plenty with your family, whatever it might be. I think that the real struggle is is just in sort of uh, taking a, an attitude towards time and towards busyness and towards all the stuff that we have to do or feel that we have to do that allows those things to take center stage in life. Uh, one of the things I write about in the book is this sort of terrible tendency that so many of us have, very understandable, to want to kind of clear the decks, to get through all the the annoying little tasks that are tugging at our attention before we get down to the things that we know really matter. And there's various reasons why this is a very bad idea, <laughs> because the decks are never clear. And actually, uh, uh, thanks to something called uh, Parkinson's Law that some listeners may be familiar with, that the, the work, ex- in fact, keeps getting bigger the more that you do, so that the decks, act- trying to clear the decks actually fills <laughs> the decks with more things etc 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 the point being the main point being you've really got to be able to just give a little bit of time to what you care about the most right now or today or this week even while experiencing that background anxiety that there are all sorts of other things piling up yeah and uh, calling for your attention and if you don't believe that the decks pile up with stuff take a week or two off (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly exactly but in a way that's just a slightly extreme version of how it is all the rest of the time right exactly so i mean just this is a it's a losing battle and i think that um you know uh, sometimes people hear this and they say well i'll get fired if i don't reply to you know emails from my boss or something and that's obviously true Uh, there are priorities that we sometimes have to set um that might not be the priorities we would choose if we were completely free, but but it's still priorities, and that still means something's got to give. And I think it's just a lot saner way to go through life when you're sort of conscious of the fact that something's got to give and you can make the best choices for the situation that you're in instead of being on this kind of constantly tra- chasing this mirage that one day you might never have to make uh, choices you might be able to do absolutely everything my guest is uh oliver berkman the author of four thousand weeks time management for uh, mortals oliver i have to take a break here can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more uh, totally i'd love to all right uh for those of you listening to us on uh, wfov 92.1 lpfm in flint uh, They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. So don't touch uh, that dial. Don't click that mouse. We're going to make more time for (laughs) time management guru Oliver Berkman straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. (laughs) 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annanick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, my guest this hour is the uh, author of a new book called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. Time Management Guru Oliver Berkman uh, joins me by phone. Oliver, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. That's okay. Um, that's fine. Hi. <laughs> Um, we were talking uh, during the last segment a little bit about uh, the impact of the of the pandemic on time management. But is this um, is it is it a coincidence that your book is coming out now as people are able to return to either normal or a new normal and and sort of reassess how they approach time management? Uh. I mean, it's not entirely a coincidence. Certainly, I've been working on this book for longer than um, since sort of before the pandemic, but I was able to, in, um, you know, fold in a lot of what, what people were feeling, I think, about the pandemic in, into, the, into the book because of when I was um, completing it. Um, I, maybe I would say this, but I think it is very timely because I do think that, you know, one of the strange positives in a way of of the upheaval of the last year and a half is that um it gives you a it jolts you out of your sort of conventional perspective in a way and there's, a, there's an opportunity to um to to look at what you're using time on in your life and to see if there are ways that uh, you might want to do it differently from now on you know both the things that people missed when they were um, restricted by lockdowns and other things, socializing with friends and all the rest of it. I, I used to sing in a choir that got canceled because of COVID and I didn't realize how much I missed it until it was, was, was uh, closing. Um, and at the same time, you know, all sorts of things that people have found that maybe they don't miss, like commuting if they've been able to work from home or, um, or, or sort of, you know, having to stay at the office until half past six at night just to give the impression of being hard working. So <laughs> I think it is a, a wonderful moment for a lot of people. And, and you see this, there's a lot of reports of this, of people who are in the position to do so, just kind of leaving their kind of fairly good, but not fulfilling jobs and uh, taking a risk because if you're not going to do that now, then, then when are you going to do it? So I think it is a, strangely, uh, as well as a terrible period in history of course it, it's a it's an exciting moment for thinking about how you might use your your limited time in the way that was most fulfilling how essential to managing time is prioritizing planning and discipline it's a very good question because i have as i write in the book you know i wrote this column for the guardian newspaper in the uk for many years where one of the things i did was to test out all these different methods of time management and productivity and one of the things i learned was uh that in fact there isn't a magic uh, um technique um of prioritization or even a certain quantity of self-discipline that is going to enable you to sort of win the war with time because uh, it's sort of built into our, our human situation that, uh, <laughs> that time is going to win that battle, at least in the end. Um, I, I think the important thing to understand about those kinds of techniques, uh, planning, prioritizing, 
they can be a real help, but I think they need to be sort of held rather loosely. And I think people could do well to sort of realize that the, the very best system for prioritizing your tasks or for organizing your day or anything else, the very best system in the world is not going to make you uh, able to do the impossible, right? It's going to make things calmer. It's going to mean that you take better decisions about how to use your time. But you're still going to have to let go of some ambitions. You're still going to have to neglect some friendships or relationships in your life, if only to focus on some others. And I think that the, the danger sort of comes when people are constantly thinking, well, next week or next month when I've finally got this new system up and running and I'm assigning priorities to all my tasks or I'm following all these great morning routines that mean I've done all so many things by 6.30 in the morning, then finally I will achieve peace of mind with regard to time. I would say let's try and cultivate peace of mind with regard to time right here and now in the middle of this kind of unmanageable amount of information and emails and opportunities that the, the world bombards us with. Now, this is a question for a real time management guru. <laughs> what, what, <laughs> what do we do with the frustration of feeling like we've run out of time? When we meet a deadline, you know, and, and didn't quite finish what we had intended to do. That's an interesting one, and as I say, who knows if I um, have achieved guru status as a result <laughs> of this book or anything else, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go, I'll give it a go. I think, um, again, I think this is a form of, I mean, the word I use in the book is discomfort with regard to time, but obviously it can sometimes be more acute than discomfort, that feeling of running out of time on a certain project or a certain phase of life or something can be much more than just mild discomfort. But, but the, sort of, the sort of big or deep, I suppose, point that I'm wanting to make about that is these sorts of discomfort, sort of, they just arise naturally if you are a finite human being with the capacity to have sort of infinite ambitions and infinite goals and dreams, but actually you yourself are, are finite. There's a, there's a sort of a mismatch there that feels uncomfortable for us as humans and so whenever some form of time related discomfort arises i think it's just useful to remember that um you know that's okay you can you can experience discomfort it won't kill you um it's sort of baked in to being human there are not other people who manage to never feel this discomfort even if their twitter feeds and their instagram feeds give a strong impression that they that they live a perfect <laughs> perfectly planned out and calm life they can assure you that they don't and so there's really just it's it, so often with the sort of advice i'm writing about and trying to communicate it seems to come down to this you know if you don't expect it to be uh, otherwise it's actually quite liberating because then you can say, okay, I'm going to encounter these moments of discomfort. I'm going to feel like I don't want to work on the things that I know that I care about the most. I'm going to feel sad when I have to hand in some project and I wish I had another three days to make it better. 
these are all just manifestations of, you know, to sound a little philosophical about it, these are all just manifestations of the of the human condition. And I think there's something kind of, I don't know, there's something quite, quite um, relaxing and almost sort of communal in knowing that, that it's like that for all of us. And it, none of that needs to stop you spending your time on some really fulfilling things. In fact, it's the path to spending your time on some really fulfilling things because once you can let go of this feeling that you're somehow going to eliminate all those feelings of discomfort, you can just say, okay, I will still spend today doing the thing that I care about the most. Um, I don't know if that's clear, but that's, what it, that's, how, it, that's how it works for me anyway. No, and, and it, um, Oliver, it made me wonder if there is some exercise, some graph or table or chart or, or uh, flow chart, if you will, some, some way of looking at the way we manage our time that brings it into perspective. Or is what you're trying to put across in the book um, a little bit more philosophical about how we react to the pressures of time? That's a very good question. I mean, I, I do, both at the end of the book and scattered throughout it, there are plenty of sort of tips and techniques, specific methods of organizing your to-do list or structuring your day, and, and we can happily, I can happily talk about those. But um, I do think that the most important thing is really to... to to make this kind of perspective shift to to see what it means and feels like to be finite to to have the sort of that feeling to get what i'm talking about when i say that it's actually a, it's actually a relief and relaxing in a certain way to to give up the impossible quest to do everything so that you can focus on doing a few things that you that truly matter to you and then I think very often the techniques and the systems tend to follow. You know, people aren't stupid. They know how to, they know how to sort of draw up a timetable for the day or a to-do list for the day once they have sort of stepped into this way of, this way of thinking that, that no longer demands uh, a sort of impossible superhuman <laughs> perfection. Um, but, you know, there are, yes, definitely, there are, sort of, there, are, there are certainly time management techniques that are more or less suited to that kind of outlook on life as well. When you talk about 4,000 weeks in an 80-year life, um, doesn't that put the same kind of pressure on us, that uh, the idea <laughs> that there's only 24 hours in a day? Right, yes. And I mean, I, I want to say that there are two steps to this to this. Um, process of understanding yes the first one is stressful the first one is like oh my goodness that's tiny <laughs> um plus of course you never know how much time you're actually going to get and right. there aren't going to be any newborn babies reading my book so i can assume that everyone reading it is already somewhat through their uh, they've, they've used up their, a chunk their, of their four thousand weeks already <laughs> <laughs> exactly but the second stage i think uh, is is that if you can uh, sort of begin to confront that fact a bit more, uh, maybe none of us can completely confront the fact of mortality. That might be sort of more than the human mind can 
can do. But once you can confront your limited time a little bit more directly, I don't think it stays a high-pressure idea. I think it, then it becomes a kind of a liberation because then you sort of say, well, okay, it's so obvious from this fact of my limited time that I'm not going to be able to answer every single email that anyone on the planet could send and also uh, be the kind of person I want to be with respect to my family and also build this business and also develop this these three great hobbies or sporting talents or whatever it might be. It's so clear that that ship has sailed in a way that that's off the table that, that it's actually quite energizing. At that point, you can say, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to more happily choose some things uh, to to focus on because I will no longer have this this thing in the back of my mind that says maybe just maybe I could become a kind of superhuman god with respect to time. That's kind of it, it's a defeat and it's a surrender, but it's a very proactive kind of defeat or surrender because it's the one that enables you then to be like, all right, well, I'm here. And I know that, say, you know, my family and being in nature or working for on this community organization, whatever it might be for you, I know that these are the few things that I really care about. So, so now I can be a bit less tormented and haunted by um, by uh, the, the sort of ghosts of all these other things that that uh, that are not going to get done. Is is there a way that we can? Um focus in such a way that that we draw distinction between the things that are pursuits that are rewarding and those tasks that that seem to be simply chores yeah i mean first of all let's be realistic there are going to be some chores and i think trying to eliminate those completely or feel like every <laughs> minute of your day is is deeply fulfilling is going to make it worse. The, right. the trash isn't going to take itself out. <laughs> right, absolutely. <laughs> and of course, let's also acknowledge that, you know, there are plenty of people in, in, in jobs and in financial situations where a, a lot of life is going to be a question of just doing what, what needs to be done. But I think when it comes to those kind of figuring out what does matter to you, there's lots of ways into this but one one approach that i i've always really valued comes from a, a jungian psychotherapist whose name is james hollis uh, whose work I, I really really appreciate and admire and he has this idea that when you're facing a decision about maybe it's what life course to take whether to change jobs or uh you know move cities could be to stay in or not stay in a relationship and it's something like that uh, um a really useful question to ask instead of, you know, will this choice make me happy? Because we are terrible at predicting what will make us happy. This is, um, <laughs> this is a well-established, a well-established, uh, research finding. It is he in my life. That, <laughs> <laughs> he suggests that you ask, um, will this choice enlarge me or diminish me? And it sounds a little strange at first, but, um, that's really a way of connecting to this notion that what we want in life, I think, ultimately, is a sense of a sense of growth rather than a sense of being cheerful all the time, um, and that meaningful activities and relationships um, are, generally speaking, those that 
that make us feel like we are growing as a person, maybe just a tiny little bit, but, but that we're growing. And, and the other kind are the kind that, you know, make you feel like you're sort of shriveling <laughs> by the day. And it's a very useful question I've always found because it should have, it, it, it sort of does an end run around this question of, of happiness. Lots of the things that matter to us don't make us thrillingly cheerful in the moment that we're doing them. I can tell you that writing a book is not an experience where every single day you're sort of dancing with pleasure at your desk <laughs> because it's so, <laughs> it's so fun to write it. Um, but it's really meaningful for, for, for me. Um, you know, I think uh, any, any new parent who's been changing diapers at random hours <laughs> of the day or night is not going to tell you that that's like the greatest pursuit in the world, but they might tell you that they really feel like they're in the right place there. They're doing something that matters to do in, in, in the great, you know, human drama. So I think it's useful to be able to ask a question about meaningfulness like that enlargement and diminishment question instead of always chasing the feeling of happiness. Well, that's why I use the word rewarding. Right. Um, you know, getting getting some some sense of uh, reward, um, accomplishment, sometimes is it. But but really, uh, and you use the word meaningfulness, which I think is even better. I think we're pointing to the same thing, aren't we? Which is just this understanding that pretty much all of us have that the feeling that something's worth doing is not quite the same as the feeling that it's really pleasurable all the time yeah my my dad used to always just just pester me with uh this notion that anything worth doing was worth doing well <laughs> yep i think it's very wise wise uh counsel i think there's a there's an opposite to that isn't there that is also wise even though it contradicts it which is that um if, a, if, a, if something's worth doing it's it's worth doing badly, which which um, which means I think that uh, you know you shouldn't necessarily wait until you feel that you can do something perfectly before you before you start doing it. Not least because you'll never get better at it unless you unless you're willing to to do it in, imperfectly. So uh, I think both those are true at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> which which leaves us with if it's worth doing, it must be done. <laughs> yes, so though I guess the principle of my book is to say lots of things are worth doing that you may not have time for, and that's okay too. Uh, it's just a question of spending your time on the planet doing a few worthwhile things. <laughs> How do we decide what's, what's worthwhile to us? Is that just simply a, a matter of self-reflection? I mean, as I say, I think that a lot of the time, this is not a mystery to people. It's not that they, I think there are exceptions, but I think it's, it's, it's rarely that people have no idea what they should be doing with their time. It's rather that there is something else that gets in the way of connecting to that insight, which is, you know, all this stuff about clearing the decks and getting through your to-do list and meeting all your obligations and achieving work-life balance whatever that means and all these different uh things that kind of confound the attempt to figure out what you like 
what what counts as meaningful for you. Um, I think there are other there are other ways to connect to what counts as meaningful for you. If you don't, if you really don't know, I think that um, if, if someone really doesn't doesn't know and can't sort of connect to that, uh, I think it was uh, Jung, the, the great psychologist, who said that thinking, figuring out what it was that you enjoyed the most as a as a child can be a very useful way to understand where your passions lie not not necessarily in exactly the same form as you did it as a child but but there are probably there are probably activities or kinds of activity that you just gave yourself to without any kind of self-consciousness when you were younger um that it might be uh possible to to, to revisit uh through you know all the accretions and confusions of of adulthood and then i think the other thing that's worth remembering when it comes to making big kinds of life choices people are thinking about you know careers and obviously depends on one's age it's all different for different people but is just that it kind of and i'm quoting somebody else here who i quote in the book but like it kind of nobody else cares as much as you think they do what you do with your life and that's actually a liberation as well because it, it Again, I think a lot of us spend a lot of life, even far into adulthood, um, maybe trying to carry out what we think are our parents' uh, desires for our lives, even sometimes long after our parents have passed away, um, or thinking that society needs us to be a certain kind of person, otherwise we will be falling short of some very important standard. And I think that when people can get free of those kinds of oppressive uh, ideas a little bit. They often have a very good sense of of how they'd like to be, uh, of how they'd like to be spending at least the discretionary parts of their of their time. Oliver, I was hoping we'd get a chance to talk a little bit about uh, another book of yours, The Antidote: Happiness for People Who Can't Stand Positive Thinking. But uh, we're almost out of time, and I always want to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and uh, your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? I do, yeah. Thank you. It's uh, oliverberkman.com, and that's B-U-R-K-E-M-A-N, slightly funny spelling. Uh, and I'm also on uh, Twitter at the same handle, Oliver Berkman. Well, Oliver, thanks so much for spending this time with me. I, uh, I really appreciate it, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you very much, Tom. It was a great conversation. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Again, that was uh, Oliver Berkman. He is the author of a new book called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. Um, he uh, wrote a popular long-running column on psychology for The Guardian called This uh, or, Column Will Change Your Life. Uh, his work has appeared in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, uh, and uh, New Philosopher. And uh, we're going to have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 LPFM, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well, but there's lots more of the Tom Sumner program yet to go, so don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. We will return.
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque riverway. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. 
TheTomSumnerProgram.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
got to be, got to be, got to be, got to be, just, just gotta be you. What a difference, baby. Yeah, the difference is you. The difference is you, well, 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 gotta be you. Another five-minute mystery. Our story takes place in Green's Gap, a small town in the Southern Cavern District. Green's Gap Hospital, Dr. Melville speaking. Doctor, doctor, there's been an accident out at Echo Cavern. Accident? What kind of accident? Two men were exploring and they got lost last night. One's unconscious. You better come quick before he's dead. I hope you know how to get out to Echo Cavern, Len. Well, with the job of being town constable and ambulance driver, I reckon I know all there is to know about these parts. Ever been in the cavern, Len? Once, Doc Melville, when I was a boy. Nearly got my hide tanned off by my paw. Echo Cavern's a mighty treacherous place. You mean it's easy to get lost in it? Not only that, Doc. It's that cavern gas carbine, mm, something. You mean carbon dioxide? Yeah, that's it. All of a sudden, you run into some of that stuff, and before you know it, Bean, you're out. Still, people seem to be going uh, exploring in there. More fools to be. I wouldn't go into them caverns, at least, till I was not without a dog. A dog? What for? Well, if a dog keels over, then you know the gas is collecting. I'm afraid, Mr. Gaddy, your friend is dead. Oh, poor Patsy. It wasn't from the gas, was it, Doc? That's what it looks like to me. Why'd you go into that cavern anyway? Patsy asked me to. We'd never seen a cave before. How far did you go in? Well, it didn't seem very far, but all of a sudden we lost our way. Where was that? Well, how do I know whereabouts it was if we was lost? We tried to trace our way back, but it was no use. Patsy started to get scared. It's kind of funny to see a big guy like that get scared. Yeah, he is rather big, isn't he? Yeah, six foot four. The mob used to call us Mutt and Jeff. And then what happened? Well, I was a little scared myself, but we stuck together. You know, walking in the dark with only my flash from the car. All of a sudden, Pat's keeled over. From the gas? Yeah, that's what I figured. His head hit on a rock, and I guess that just about finished him off. I suppose you reckon yourself pretty lucky, mister. Yeah, sure, I figure it's because I'm only five foot three that I got out of there alive. Gas must have been just about a foot over my head. Yeah, and what do you think about that, Doc Melville? I think you better arrest Mr. Gotti for the murder of his friend Patsy.
What was the flaw in Gaddy's story? Do you know it? In a moment, we'll hear from Lem and Dr. Melville. And now, let's see whether you're as observant as Lem and the doctor. Hey, copper, let me put my hands down. They're tired. When you're in Green Gap's jail, not before. I don't get it. It was a good story. I still can't figure out how you found out. Lem tells me they used to take dogs in the cavern because the gas is heavier than air. It collects on the floor. If you really meant gas, you would have keeled over first, before your pal Patsy. Well, what do you know? I tell you, nowadays in this murder racket, you need a college education. Another five-minute mystery. This five-minute mystery featured the voices of Rhonda Groves Young, Randy Zimmerman, Sean Cantwell, and yours truly, Tom Sumner. Stay tuned to the Tom Sumner Program for future mini-mysteries. The Tom Sumner Program dot com. The Tom Sumner Program From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh yeah! You pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs> 